1: everyone and welcome to another edition of a pack a day podcast it is sunday morning one more weekend without football unless you're into the alliance which if you are good for you i've watched some of it as well but the nfl combine is next weekend so the first kind of taste of nfl related activity tampering free agency uh, draft related stuff and obviously athletic testing which is such a huge part of the draft evaluation process. But that is not this week. That is next week. I am your host today. I am Jacob Westendorf. And back with me after moving and apparently headed for Santa Monica here relatively shortly is Zach Jacobson. Zach, wheels up in about two hours?
2: Yeah, roughly two hours. But, you know, you're, you're my priority. i got to make time for, for my guy Jacob. And uh, thank you for the shout-out to the AAF, my stallions Let's go!
1: Yeah, my team is uh, Atlanta, and that's largely because Denard Robinson plays on the team, and they are 0-2. They're struggling, but they're going to grind through. Um, I have enjoyed mostly watching the AAF so far to point and laugh at Mike Martz, just because he literally has not changed a bit, even though the NFL is leaps and bounds ahead of his offense from where he was at 20 years ago. And the AAF isn't really that far behind that either he hasn't exactly revolutionized that spot either but this is a show about the nfl and it's about the greatest franchise in the history of the nfl apologies to the new england patriots fans and i'm sure listening to the show that have recency bias and well i'm gonna leave that one alone um yeah yeah we're just gonna leave that alone for today but The NFL is going uh, in full force, and earlier this week, obviously a big name that has surfaced in trade rumors is Antonio Brown. Uh, A lot of things have come up. about. First it was him requesting a trade on the Internet. He thanked the Steelers Nation, all that sort of stuff. And then it was (laughs) an Instagram video with him on the elliptical where he said a lot of things that I found pretty funny. We were like just a notch below. Zach, I'm sure you remember. Uh, do you remember Terrell Owens doing sit-ups in his driveway?
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, right, right in front of his house, answering questions from reporters. I mean, this this like almost replicates that situation, doesn't it?
1: Just about. It's like a notch below that. I think we don't have uh, AB's agent saying next question to everything being asked, uh, but we're just a notch below that, so we're pretty close to that point. We haven't gotten there yet, and then he <laughs> Brown's talking about how. If a team's got guaranteed money, go ahead and call me. And he says he can't do any more unguaranteed. He's kind of a strange guy. I think we always knew that, but that video is on another level. And then a picture surfaced with Antonio Brown and Mr. Rooney basically saying that we both agreed uh, it's time to move on. It's in everybody's best interest for Brown to move on. And then Kevin Colbert is posturing. Saying, oh, we won't just give Antonio Brown away, but I hate to break it to you, man. All of your leverage is gone. The owner and the player have said it's time to move on. So you're not going to get those high high dollar. I would be surprised if you're getting high dollar offers for Antonio Brown. But let's jump into that a little bit because, obviously, Antonio Brown's a great player. Um, arguably the best receiver in football. Uh, I would say that he is or has been, certainly, over the last couple of years. He's the most consistent player. I do know that his numbers. He's money uh, from a production standpoint. I know uh, fantasy football certainly isn't everything, but he's been an ace for fantasy football, which means his production on the field has been near the top of the league every single year uh, for the last three or four years with that great offense. Um, the, the issues with Brown that are kind of laid out are well, he's getting that reputation, and deservedly so, as a quote-unquote diva wide receiver, and that's kind of an ugly word to use for a wide receiver. Uh, you think of guys like Chad Ochocinco and uh, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss to some degree, uh, guys like that in general. And typically, you know, the point being made is player like that has never won a Super Bowl, which I understand that. To some degree, uh, that's not altogether fair, I think, because it does seem like it's, they're not winning because of those guys, and that's not true. I mean, if you think about it, Terrell Owens, for example, played in one Super Bowl and was the best player on the field in that Super Bowl. The Eagles just were unable to win that day. Chad Ochocinco played in a Super Bowl with the Patriots. They lost that Super Bowl uh, as well to Eli Manning and the New York Giants, which is also funny for a lot of different reasons. But that's kind of the detraction from Antonio Brown is – He's seen as a locker room problem, and last year, obviously, there were some issues. I think some of those issues are because of Mike Tomlin. Uh, Mike Tomlin essentially let Antonio Brown walk all over him, in my opinion. It's not just Brown, there's other players that have uh, given some credence to that theory as well. You know, uh, Tomlin was allowing Antonio Brown to basically get away with showing up late to meetings, allegedly, and. You know, not staying in the dorms when the Steelers are in training camp with the rest of the team. And just certain players got preferential treatment. And it seems like some of that festered. And then the big one, uh, to me, is Week 17 where Brown was upset. There was a blow-up in practice, allegedly. Uh, Again, it seemed like the Steelers, some of the players were coming out and saying that Brown was the one in the wrong. He threw a football at Ben Roethlisberger. Which, don't get me wrong, Ben Roethlisberger, I imagine is a very hard person to play with not the greatest teammate uh throws his guys under the bus in radio meetings just some stuff that I can imagine would get frustrating after a while especially when you know Roethlisberger threw a couple game ending interceptions this year uh so and didn't seem to want to take the blame for those things I get through all that to say Zach from a football standpoint this is inarguable pairing Devontae Adams and Antonio Brown is like a scenario that you and I would come up with in Madden football, and we're just throwing the ball all over the lot because those guys are always open. And then you get into real-life football where you're thinking, like, man, they can't double-cover Devontae. They can't really double-cover Antonio Brown. you got Aaron Jones in the backfield, probably a new tight end, or maybe just Jimmy Graham. Where are you at with this whole Antonio Brown process? Because there's really strong opinions on both sides of some people saying, yes, go get him. He's a marquee player. Bring him in, figure it out later. And then there's others saying, no, I don't want that locker room cancer. It's a new head coach. They want to establish a new culture, and it's hard to do that with a guy like him. Where all are you in this scenario?
2: I am having a whirlwind of emotion when it comes to Antonio Brown because I don't know. It's hard to really gauge where I'm at because I don't even know where I'm at. So I'm going to try and kind of break it down here. Does what he he is able to do – what he's able to do on the field, does that outweigh the potential locker room cancer he brings to Green Bay? And, you know, someone on Twitter recently, they brought up a good point. They, you know, Green Bay, they're making like a kind of like a change in culture. You know, they're moving on from Mike McCarthy, moving forward under Matt LaFleur, and they're establishing this new culture, I guess. Wouldn't signing someone like Brown kind of fall under that same umbrella? Because a couple of years ago, the Packers would stay millions of miles away from Antonio Brown, from, from this kind of deal. They would not even think about it for, you know, under Ted Thompson. Now it's it's in the cards. I mean, the Packers were in on Khalil Mack. They're probably going to be on an, in on an Antonio Brown. And the whole locker room cancer thing, in, in my eyes, I think it's just completely overblown because, it, you know, you look at Brown. He hasn't been that kind of guy for a majority of his career. And he came, he came into the league, what, in 2010? He, he'd been relatively silent throughout years. And obviously everything kind of blew up this past season. Look, look what the guy is dealing with. He he has Peter Roethlisberger as his quarterback. That goes without saying. Like you mentioned, he's probably not the, the easiest guy to play with. And, you know, I'm going to reserve my, my true judgment because I was told I cussed too much here, apparently. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call him anything, but he's not the best guy to play with, and, you know, the organization he's dealing with is relatively incompetent. You know, you look at how they handled the Le'Veon Bell situation, you you have Roethlisberger, Brown, and Bell, and you still, you couldn't reach a Super Bowl. I mean, to me, that speaks more to the incompetency of your quarterback and of your organization for not equipping your entire team with, with the proper pieces, okay? So, bringing Brown aboard, and, you know, Teams are gonna be calling the Steelers, obviously, but if teams are offering like second round picks and, and below, like they're staying away from first rounders, and you know, like his causes not continue to go down, I think. So the Packers sh they should, they can pocket their two first round picks. They'd still have twelve and thirty. And if you can get Antonio Brown for even pick forty-four or and whatever else the Steelers want to throw in there, I think you do it. It's a no-brainer. Who do you double-cover in that offense? you double-cover Devontae Adams? Because that's just going to leave Brown open, and vice versa. It opens up just a plethora of, of, of opportunities. And for a player like Brown, who has been basically at the top of the wide receiver chain the last few years, I think for a majority of these last few seasons, the Sands, uh, you know, Andre Hopkins, and Michael Thomas, and those guys who are like, on the rise right now, Everyone's like unanimous top three has always been Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, and Odell Beckham Jr. You know, in whatever order you want, it's always been those three. You know, obviously a few out, outliers, whatever, but I think it's worth it. I think you you make you make that move and you make your team better. You get someone that's going to help your 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 team. And Aaron and Antonio Brown, they have mutual respect for each other. They were. You know, that photograph that everyone passes around of them shaking hands after after that preseason game this uh, this past August. He, he, I mean, he doesn't have some odd connection with Rodgers, you know. He, he's starting fresh, basically, in Green Bay. The Steelers want to trade him to an NFC team. That's That either screams the Packers or the 49ers, basically. It's going to be one of those two teams, I feel like. So really, I would be shocked if, if the Packers aren't even in on this.
1: Yeah, and I mean, take this for what it's worth, because I know a lot of people have basically blown it off. But, you know, last year the Packers were considered the favorite by this same website to land Khalil Mack. Uh, The team that was considered the second favorite was the Chicago Bears, and the Bears obviously landed Khalil Mack, uh, which is unfortunate for a lot of different reasons. But Vegas isn't making those things up it's not like they just throw the Packers at the top of the list and yeah they're trying to get some bets but there's some knowledge or information that goes into that as well the Packers need a wide receiver how badly they need one or where they need him to fall on that depth chart can certainly be discussed maybe it's a number two maybe you really like those rookies that's another you know point that I suppose we can get into but the Packers are considered as of that same website bet online the second favorite to land Antonio Brown after the San Francisco 49ers Two teams that you just mentioned in that regard. The Niners have a boatload of cap space. They have a young head coach, a young quarterback coming off an injury. The only concern that I would have about that if I were the Niners is, are you really ready to win, and are you ready to win right now? Because I doubt Antonio Brown. Because Pittsburgh, I know you just mentioned they haven't gotten to the Super Bowl, but they did play for an AFC title. They're in the playoffs pretty much every single year. And next year, when this time hits, if Antonio Brown's on the team, and even if he's not, honestly – the Steelers might be on that is are probably on that short list of teams that you're like, okay, New England, obviously every year. Every year until Tom Brady and Bill Belichick retire, I am going to pick the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl. Just seems like the smart thing to do. Very good chance of getting right. They're there all the freaking time. So, you know the Patriots are there. And then after that, there's a lot of like turnover in some of those teams. You know, this past year, the sexy pick was the Jacksonville Jaguars. They fell on their face. The Kansas City Chiefs look like a staying power. Andy Reid, great coach. Patrick Mahomes, league MVP. Great offense around him. Okay, there's one of those teams. After that, I don't think there's a clear-cut team. I know the Chargers just had a great year, but they're very up and down, and they have been over the last several years. The Steelers are like a model of consistency. They just haven't been able to break through uh, since 2010. That was the last time they played in the Super Bowl. They lost to the Packers, obviously. Uh, but they're on that short list. Are they ready to win? I think Brown knows that. Whereas Green Bay, okay, they didn't have a great year. There are some roster holes, there are some talent deficiencies, but they do have Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers typically in a year where all things created equal, you would imagine is worth about 10 wins. So 10 wins usually get you into the playoffs. So you want to get find a way to get those extra two or three wins to get you into a home field advantage situation where you're playing the NFC Championship game at home. You mentioned compensation. You were talking about pick 44. Uh, me personally, here's the biggest issue I have with Antonio Brown. The locker room stuff, the quote-unquote cancer label that's thrown around, the diva situation, whatever you want to call that, I think that that's something where you vet your backgrounds, you get your people to tell you the right things, or you get your people to tell you what you need, to know, and if you're comfortable with that, you're bringing him in. Okay, that's fine. The issue I have is Packers fans still talk about who has Jason Perrone, my co host on Pulse of the Pack, has called him Dingus McGee, which is the former tight end who used to wear number 80 before Jimmy Graham. He quit on the team, and Packers fans are still pissed about that, and I completely understand that. Antonio Brown essentially did the same thing last year with a playoff berth on the line. Brown by all intents and purposes quit on the Steelers last year that's something that bothers me and to me you know you mentioned a second round pick I personally believe that's a little too rich uh, for somebody who is over the age of 30 going to have a uh, contract maybe he wants a new contract and that's something you'll have to talk about because if he wants a new contract that certainly changes the scope of things too I'm not sure whether that's the case or not. He's not really in a position to hold out. He can't really hold out for the next three years to get a new deal. So maybe he will, maybe he won't. Here's where I'm looking, and I know I just had this conversation the other day about how you can't go by history to suggest things. Like, for example, people saying, oh, I don't want Brian Burns to get drafted by Green Bay because Jamal Reynolds. Well, Jamal Reynolds played 20 years ago. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. I don't want Deontay Thompson because of HaHa Clinton Dix. Now, I don't want Deontay Thompson either, but HaHa Clinton Dix isn't the reason why. But at the same time, you look at recent history, and this is where maybe to just reverse some of the fortune of the bad luck. I'm going to go back as far as 2010. Here are the Packers' third-round picks since 2010. Morgan Burnett, very good player, Uh, turned out to be a very good player in Green Bay, Uh, was one of the Defensive captains on two teams that played for NFC Championships was a versatile chess piece. Okay, that's good. 2011 was Alex Green. couple flashes, nothing special, out of the league. 2012, they didn't have a third-round pick. They traded it for a combination of Casey Hayward and Jarrell Worthy. Uh, Casey Hayward, obviously very good. Not a conversation I want to get into. Uh, Jarrell Worthy, terrible. Uh, 2013, didn't have a third-round pick. They traded out of it, ended up with David Bakhtiari, J.C. Tretter, and Jonathan Franklin in the fourth round that year. 2014, they had two third-round picks. Kyrie Thornton, bad, and I think somehow still in the league, actually. Richard Rogers, okay, the miracle in Motown, great, but never really was what they wanted him to live up to. 2015, Ty Montgomery, Cutler, well, essentially cut last year. Traded to the Ravens for a ham sandwich. Uh, never really found his place in Green Bay. Inconsistent, not a great pick. Kyler Fackrell. Well, the jury's out on that one because he had a great year this year, but before that he was entirely inept, and coming into training camp this year, we were talking about whether he's going to make the roster over Vince Beagle, who plays special teams in New Orleans right now. Montrevious Adams, up and down on the depth chart, uh, never really has established any type of consistency. Big year coming up for him this year, and then last year they traded up for Oren Burks, who didn't do a whole lot. Obviously it's his rookie season, I don't want to write him off yet, but... As you can see, since 2010, a lot of bad luck in terms of their third-round picks. That's where I think you can find the sweet spot for him. One of those picks right there. Trade that out. You still have three top 50 picks, and now Antonio Brown, and you don't have to worry about picking a wide receiver, for example. You still can if there's one you really, really like. So say Debo Samuel is available, or Andy Isabella, or any of those guys from Ole Miss, I think all three of them are very good, or Riley Ridley, or Kelvin Harmon, or whoever you want to look at. If any of those guys are available and you want to pick them, you can, but now you're not rushing them into production, a la James Jones, Jordy Nelson. Those guys were really effective. They weren't rushed into production. Randall Cobb, same thing. The only receiver really in recent memory that's been rushed into having to be a productive player is Devontae Adams. Had his struggles, certainly showed some flashes as a rookie. Wasn't that great in his second year, as we know now. He's one of the best receivers in football. So. That's where I would be most comfortable. If they can trade a third-round pick for Antonio Brown, I would be very comfortable with that. I can talk myself into it. I certainly understand there's some concerns uh, with everything that went on in Pittsburgh, and I would understand those. But for a third-round pick for the best receiver in football, you figure out a way to make that work. And you're trusting Matt LaFleur to rebuild that culture anyways. Here's the other reality of the situation, guys. They ain't all going to be choir boys. This is professional football. Uh, There's some weird dudes that come through locker rooms. Championship teams have some interesting players on them. And some of them is guys you just got to find a way to keep in line. Bill Belichick has big personalities on his team in Pittsburgh. Not Pittsburgh, excuse me, New England. Pittsburgh wishes they had Bill Belichick. They'd have like 25 trophies at this point. But... Bill Belichick has guys in there. Now, Matt LaFleur is not Bill Belichick, and in his wildest dreams, probably never will be. Bill Belichick's the greatest coach in the history of the modern era of professional football at minimum, the history of the sport at maximum. But what he does have is the opportunity to establish culture. And what you do right away is you tell Antonio Brown, as soon as he gets in the locker room, hey, I know Mike Tom will let you do these things. We're not going to treat you like a child, but you don't get this free run. You know, Hey, we stay at St. Norbert's here for training camp. You will be there. You are going to be a model citizen at practice. You're going to help teach these young guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown and Jamon Moore and Whitewater Jesus and all these other dudes that are in camp for us. And then that's how you establish the culture with him. If he buys in great. If he doesn't, or if he's not willing to buy in, then you don't make the move because I'm sure that there's some conversations that take place behind closed doors that we don't know about that certainly are illegal, but you know, don't ask, don't tell kind of thing there. Now, what that also does for the current roster is guys like MVS, EQ, Jamon Moore to some degree. It allows them to not have to be these, they had to be major contributors last season. And you saw, I mean, they did some nice things. I think that, you know, EQ and MVS specifically showed some very nice things. But you were asking them to be Randall Cobb and Geronimo Allison or Randall Cobb in 2014 Devontae Adams, and they couldn't do it because they're not ready they're not late round receivers take some time they take more time than normal your expectations have to be tampered Tyreek Hill is the exception to the rule and there are reasons that Tyreek Hill fell down that board that certainly didn't happen with MBS and EQ so with that in mind I'm not 100% comfortable like people are saying oh pick number 30 like what can you get at pick 30 that's going to be different than Antonio Brown obviously that's not how that works. Uh, that player's going to be on a rookie contract. Antonio Brown's on a big contract. I'm not comfortable there. The character issues, which again, they'll know more about than I do, but I personally uh, would not be comfortable with pick number 44. Now, if it really came down to it and say there's a bidding war that I don't foresee and they really want to get Antonio Brown, okay, then I could talk myself into that. But that third round pick right there, I think that's your sweet spot for antonio brown Uh, i've evolved a little bit i think initially i said i wouldn't be comfortable trading a top 100 pick for him right now i'd be okay with a third round pick but anything in the first two rounds i don't think so zach i know you kind of mentioned pick 44 is that where you're comfortable if they make a deal for mr brown i just think
2: when you're speaking to his level of of player you know you're, you're talking about antonio brown there so i know the steelers while it's, it's blatantly obvious that they don't want to, you know, dump in for chunk change, but, you know, at the same time, they're not going to just sell them off, I don't think. I think a second-round pick is, is in the Packers' case, that's the worst-case scenario. I don't think it goes any higher than that, obviously. There's no possible way they they ship off the 30th overall pick. Or even, even I've seen people declare that they would need to send over their 12th and 30 to first-rounders, which was absolutely nothing. So, I think 44 is as ex- is ex- is expensive as you can get, but that's a good point with the third rounders. I mean, the Packers haven't had the, the most success there in recent years, obviously, so you're not really losing much You're You're... Pretty much trading away the slim possibility that they get some kind of game changer with one of the, you know with their third overall their third round pick. Sorry, um, and you're doing that for Antonio Brown, basically, who, as you said, and as I agree with, is you know up there in terms of best wide receivers in football. So I just I think you I think you do that in obviously in, in a heartbeat, and you know you kind of, you kind of negotiate. The, the optics of his contract a little bit later, and, you know. Right now, from from a money standpoint, the Packers can really do whatever they want this off season, which a lot of people didn't think they could because of the other contract Aaron Rodgers signed last year. They thought, oh, the Packers would be financially handicapped for for the next two years or however long. And they're sitting at thirty five million dollars in cap space right now, and that's without all the contracts they're going to dump. That's without getting rid of Clay Matthews and and Randall Cobb, and you know, it's. Well, you know the other players that are kind of bottom of the print roster uh, roster guys. That that's going to push the Packers north of forty million dollars. You know, they're not going to be financially handicapped in any aspect of those words this offseason. They're going to be able to do really whatever they want, and if that means getting Antonio Brown and eating him to, to a big deal, then so be it. The Steelers are going to be the ones that are in some kind of little little cap hell for for twenty nineteen. I mean, they're they're going to need to pay out I think twenty or twenty one million. Uh, for Brown's contract, and then 20, 2020 and 2021, they're, I think they're off the books, but yeah, you know, the Packers, they have the money for this, you know, but that's, anybody listening right now who thinks the Packers are going to be in some kind of financial bind with Brown's contract, just rethink that, because they're in a perfect cap situation right now, and that's, that's a credit to Russ Ball and those guys in the front office, he has kept the Packers out of cap hell for for years now, you know, they, as far as we can remember, the Pirates haven't had any difficulty managing the salary cap in the last few years, and obviously there's there's some detail to that, you know, in terms of letting guys go, like Casey Hayward, and Jerry Cook, and you know, all, all those all those guys, but, you know, right now they're in a position to make a move like this, so, I mean, I, I think I talked myself into it sometime in the in last couple of minutes, I think you talked me into it, so
1: yeah go get antonio brown well there you have it from zach's mouth to god's ears uh, if the packers are listening and i'm sure they are uh zach says go get antonio brown so me i'm i'm not gonna go full-fledged to that other side of the coin there but if the price is right i'm i'm willing to try anything uh from a football standpoint so and for the salary cap situation you brought up i mean this is a team last year just a year ago for everybody talking about oh you know, they don't have any cap space. They don't have any money, blah, blah, blah. Well, last year, well, not quite this time, but they were in on Khalil Mack, like you mentioned. They were going to have to pay him the highest defensive contract in the history of professional football. They were willing to do that while also signing the quarterback. So they have money to play with. And for the salary cap experts that are on Twitter that are saying they don't, you're just wrong. you uh, because you are i mean you're talking about 35 40 million this year next year they could have upwards of like i think 50 or 60 million is some things i've read in other places assuming they don't go you know bonkers and free agency and extensions and stuff like that this year but they have salary cap space for just about anything they want to do you're talking about bringing in antonio brown let's just use that 35 million dollar number for a starter's point point. From what I've read, Antonio Brown's cap hit, if he's traded, is about $7 million. So that gives them $28 million to where they could add Antonio Brown. Say, Trey Flowers costs $15 million a year. Okay, they can add him, and they still have $13 million in space. And then they can add a safety like Trey Boston at like $5 million a year, and they have $8 million in space. Those are just examples, obviously. But guys you can bring in, and you mean to tell me that this team isn't better if they can bring in Brown Flowers, and Trey Boston. And then you add in your draft capital as well. And that doesn't even include money that they can free up by trading, or not trading, excuse me, releasing Nick Perry, releasing Tremont Williams as an option. I mean, they have guys on their roster that they can also kind of trim some fat on to get some extra cap space if they need it. So there's a lot that they can do. And the salary cap, it's not an illusion, but it can be manipulated to some degree. They can backload some stuff. So for example, say... They want Earl Thomas, and Earl Thomas wants $14 million a season. I was doing some basic math earlier, but what they could do is make his cap hit smaller his first year and bigger his second year when they have more space. They kind of did that with Aaron Rodgers' contract as well uh, to give them some of those things. So you mentioned salary cap space. That's the other thing I want to transition from, because this isn't going to be just about Antonio Brown. Obviously, free agency will be in full swing here in about three weeks. Maybe a little bit longer than that if my math is off, but about three weeks or so. And The Packers are going to be active. I think you've noticed at least some sort of new world or new regime here. Um, The Packers didn't get any compensatory picks this year because they were active in free agency last year. They didn't really have a whole lot of guys worth uh, other teams signing for big money deals either. But they also signed Jimmy Graham and Mo Wilkerson and Tremont Williams and just a couple different guys to get them out of the compensatory pick business. Now, those things are valuable to some degree, but I also think that the fan base has overrated them to some point Uh, Just because that's what we've been conditioned to think is you don't sign free agents because that ruins a potential draft pick. Well, you know, my question then to respond to that is what would you rather have in, say, it would be 2020 in this case. Would you rather have Trey Boston on your roster, just as an example, or a fifth-round comp pick that could turn into someone like Aaron Jones, but it could also very easily be somebody who's not a contributor, plays special teams, never really plays all that often? So I say all that to say the safety position has been a bit of a hot button uh, for free agency because the draft class isn't particularly strong. There's a lot of opinions at the top. Some people really like Nasir Adderley from Delaware. Some people like Deontay Thompson from Alabama. Some people like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from Florida. Uh, Some people like some other guys down the list. I think, Zach, that you and I talked pre-show. We agreed. I don't think there's a safety in this class worth a first-round pick. So knowing that, It seems like the best bang for the buck that the Packers could get in free agency is at the safety spot. I mentioned some guys earlier. Trey Boston, Earl Thomas, LaMarcus Joyner. Some other names that come up are like Landon Collins, uh, Adrian Amos, Tyran Matthew. Matthew I have a hard time seeing wanting to come play in the northern hemisphere. Well, not northern hemisphere, but above the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, He's played every part of his career south of that. And if he's got a choice, I'm sure he's going to do that as well. But some of the big names that come to mind for me, and it's been a point of contention I guess for me because Landon Collins is a big name he had a defensive rookie of the year type season his rookie year he may have actually won the award I don't know without looking I'll check that once you're uh once I kick it to you here just to be sure but Collins potentially going to be franchise tagged may not be franchise tagged it's kind of a sticky situation there with the Giants he cleaned out his locker and if he's franchised he's basically told the Giants he's not going to show up until there's a new contract done so he may be allowed to test the market. Uh, and come back that way. Adrian Amos is another popular name. He played for the Chicago Bears, one of the best defenses in football this year, obviously. Uh, My thing with those guys is you're going to have to spend a pretty penny to get those guys. And the primary thing that they are good at is overhang defenders, playing close to the line of scrimmage, playing against the run. And my thought on that is, is spending $8 million of your salary cap best used on somebody who... Are they better than Josh Jones and Kentrell Bryce? Absolutely. No questions asked. But I don't think that's the best use of your resources because they have guys like that on the roster. They can find cheaper alternatives for a position that really isn't that valued. Uh, my new pin tweet now is don't spend money on running backs or run defenders or money and capital, I should say. So picking a, you know, a, a nose tackle in the first round, I think like Vita Via was selected last year. I don't think that was a good idea. Uh, Picking a running back in the top 10, which has happened several times in the last couple years, I don't think that's a good idea. Spending money on guys like that. Landon Collins is not a coverage-free safety, guys. He's not. Um, Adrian Amos certainly is not. They tried, the Bears tried to do that in 2016, and he was so bad at it. They were searching for replacements. Uh, Obviously, they struck gold with Eddie Jackson in the fourth round. He's one of the best safeties in football now. But they moved Amos uh, to the other safety position, and he's done a pretty good job there spending eight mil on him and probably higher for Landon Collins if he hits the market we're talking 10 12 million dollars a year for somebody who's not I don't think' gonna change this defense all that much okay they'll make a few plays in a run game and certainly they'll make the defense better that's not what I'm saying at all what I am saying is do you get the best use of your resources by spending money on box safeties? I am out on that uh, I think Landon Collins is a big name you know the first thing that I'll say this. This is what I'll end with. If the first thing you can say about the safety position or the safety that you are talking about is, man, he really hits people hard. Um, not really what you're looking for because with some of the new rules and everything like that, obviously in today's NFL, that part of the game has been taken away. And what you're really valuing is guys that can make plays deep down the field in coverage. Earl Thomas, with all due respect to guys like Richard Sherman and... Uh, some of their defensive linemen like Cliff Averill, uh, Michael Bennett, some of those guys. What was most important to that Seahawks defense, in my opinion, was the fact that Earl Thomas could run from sideline to sideline in the blink of an eye. That's the kind of guy you're trying to find. Now, Earl Thomas is special. I understand that. But think about it, guys. What was more important to the Packers' defense when they were at their best in the Super Bowl season? Was it Charlie Pepper playing adequate football or was it Nick Collins being a special type of free safety? That's the kind of guy I think that you're looking for. Obviously, Nick Collins doesn't grow on trees. We know that. Uh, we've been trying to find a replacement for him in Green Bay since he his career ended. But, Zach, those are big names. Packers fans, obviously, are all over. I think they want a shiny new toy, and I certainly understand that. But what what are your thoughts on the, the safety spot as a whole as we enter free agency here in the next couple of weeks?
2: Well... We know, first and foremost, the Packers obviously need some kind of upgrade there. Okay, they can't have Tremont Williams playing free safety again. And while I will say about Williams, he fills in at both cornerback and safety, so you kind of get a, a multiple positional guy that could help him with by the time you know by the time the time comes to ink a new contract, who knows? But I, I think a lot of Packer fans are kind of just falling under the spell of, like you said, wanting a shiny new toy. But you know, they've been. They've been watching the safety position in Green Bay, specifically last season too, and how how piss poor it was. And they really just want any name that gets thrown out there, any name that was you know who, who was relatively prominent with its former team, you know. But I think getting a like a you know a box safety or getting someone like Landon Collins, I feel like that's a little derivative, you know, because they already have Josh Jones. And yeah, you know, obviously that'd be an upgrade over Jones. You know, I'm still the jury's still out on Josh Jones. I feel like he's entering his third year. We had to wait until uh, Kyler Fackrell's third year for him to turn around. It might just take a little time for some players to figure it out. Now, I don't think Josh Jones is that that center field type of safety that you want. Obviously, you know he's a strong safety. He can fill in in the box, and I think in the box is where he's most where he's most effective. That's where I feel like he's been best each of the last two seasons. Okay, so. Landon Collins, I you know and everyone just kind of really is like I said falling under that spell because he was big with the New York Giants, and I, I see shades of Ha Ha Clinton Dix with him. And no, it's not the, it's not the Alabama safety type. It's not none of that nonsense. They they play a similar way. Both of them excelled with coverage skills. I mean Clinton Dix always seemed to be in the right place at the right time to get as many interceptions as he did. Obviously, he was never the guy that would jump routes. I mean, we saw him do it once in Washington last season, but uh, not in Washington. But actually, when he was with the Packers playing in Washington. Um, but he was never that kind of guy that would jump routes. He was never the guy that kind of rushed sideline to sideline like Nick Collins once did. But getting Landon hard I feel like, just kind of repeats that. Because Collins, he isn't afraid to stick his nose in traffic and crash down and make tackles. Clinton Dix seemed like he was scared to get his jersey dirty a little bit. And, you know that kind of, the, the small difference between them doesn't warrant paying Landon Collins the kind of contract he's going to expect. Now, to be fair, we don't know what the safety market is going to look like in terms of money. You know, because last year, it was just, it was it was, it was was like a desert, it seemed like. These guys weren't getting paid a lot of money and we saw Tyrant Matthews sign with Houston for, I, I think it was pennies. I forgot what his contract was. but think it was like $8 million, 5 to $8 million, somewhere in that range. But, it, it, it's we don't know for sure if the market is going to be similar. You know, maybe they can get Trey Boston for for five million, like you said. That would be ideal, in my opinion. That's kind of the guy on my wish list, at least, outside of Earl Thomas. I, which I feel like is honestly just a pipe dream at this point. It seems like he's destined to be a Dallas Cowboy. Um, but if they could land Thomas, uh, or Thomas, that would be. The center field safety that they're looking for, the guy that can rush sideline to sideline, the guy that teams are scared to throw deep against. And Packers haven't had that since Nick Collins. You know, and he's been gone for eight years now. He hasn't been in the league for eight years now since he suffered that career ending neck injury. So if the Packers can find a way to land Earl Thomas and and convince him to play in Green Bay, then this is going to look like a completely different defense because that that one key piece alone. Forget what you're going to get at 12 overall. Forget what you're going to get at 30. Forget any kind of introduction that you're going to get in this draft class. If you can get that one safety and plug him into the back end of your defense, that changes everything. That changes the whole landscape of your defense. That gives Mike Petton this this brand new, probably a future Hall of Famer to play with. And I feel like it kind of it kind of goes hand in hand with the Charles Woodson side. I mean, you know, each, each of those guys were, you know, they they played out their previous tenure with the team that uh, the team they're with the longest and now they're at the point where they can go elsewhere up the be team. And I think Earl Thomas is at that point. So if the Packers can land him, then all the powers do that because that would be incredible. I just don't feel like that's realistic anymore. Like I said, I feel like he's destined to be a Dallas Cowboy. But who knows? Big, you know, crazier things would happen in free agency.
1: Yeah, it certainly seems that way. That Earl Thomas is going to be a cowboy. There was a news report that service that he has already enrolled his kids at a school in Texas. Uh, do it that way, you will. Um, obviously, things can change relatively quickly. Uh, that's where you know Earl Thomas went to college too, as well. So that's
2: um, yeah, the trains out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot that a lot that can change between now and then. We'll see how that all plays out. But Zach, I think you and I are in agreement uh, at minimum. You know, get the Packers' position, safety position to the point where it's just not terrible, which it has been. Last year especially, uh, the year prior, you can argue it wasn't the greatest, uh, but they had some transition plans, and you were hoping for that. But to me, like, for example, what I would do, we mentioned Josh Jones. To me, I would make Josh Jones a linebacker, just let him learn that spot, let him play close to the line of scrimmage, and let him do those things. Maybe he's not good there, but I really do think that is his best chance to succeed. Obviously, he's got to show more things as a top 60 pick, and the Packers need, I mean, you could argue they could upgrade both safety positions. I certainly understand that. I just don't think the best use of your resources at this point is to plug a bunch of money into a player whose best asset, like you mentioned, is playing close to the line of scrimmage when they have a much bigger need, at least in my opinion, for a, a center field type. So who that is, I don't know. Like you mentioned last year, the safety market was piss poor. Uh, Morgan Burnett signed a $5 million deal. Trey Boston was signed for like $2 million. Um, Tyron Matthew, like you mentioned, I think it ended up at $7 million, But either way, it was a one-year deal, uh, which was surprising. So the Packers have a lot of needs. Uh, as has been mentioned several times on the show, free agency will start here in the next couple weeks, and we'll see how they plan to use those dollars. It's actually kind of exciting, Zach. I know not to disrespect Ted Thompson or anything like that, but the fact that this form of team building, roster building, is actually a a possibility because this time, you know, two years ago, if we were doing this show and we were talking about guys like Earl Thomas, we would have been like, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. The Packers aren't doing that. Now it probably still isn't going to happen, but there's at least a possibility That the Packers will pursue those guys. Uh, So that's where we're at. That's where we're going to leave it. That's going to do it for this edition of Packaday. Be sure to check us out. Uh, Leave us a review. uh, Give us a rating and a subscription on your favorite podcast platform. We are all over the place every day, 365 days a year. You can follow the show on Twitter. That is at Packaday Podcast. Plenty of information and stuff that comes through there. You can follow me personally. I am at Jacob Westendorf. And for all swear word related tweets, you can follow Zach at. Third and
2: six, Zach and Jacobson and on Twitter.
1: Twitter. And that's Zach with a CH, not Zach with a K, like Zach Britton, reliever for the New York Yankees. Baseball season, I've got to get in a little reference every now and again too. But thank you guys for listening to this show. And as always, Go Pack Go.
0: Shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking. as yes, he throws it. Deep down the right sideline. And second on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard right line of Green Bay. the Rogers looking right. Throws the right side thing. Brown makes the to gather it in, using all six, five of his frame, tumbled out of bounds inside the 30 of the 28 yard line. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, throws the left side. To make, got it! Out of bounds inside the 10 yard line! Oh my goodness, what a throw and catch! Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Bradley the snap. JK Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. He is. Yes. Mason me, delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33 30.